Welcome to the Light Pod, brought to you by LightEye, the hub for ideas, education, and a little bit of entertainment when it comes to architectural lighting. I'm your host, Sam Corbel, and today I'm sitting in almost sunny Chicago with the CEO and co-founder of LightAZ, Lars Christensen. Lars is originally from Denmark, came to Chicago 15 years ago, and he's doing some pretty cool and innovative things when it comes to software in the lighting industry, mostly focused around product specifications and bringing things together. Lars, we're gonna talk all about technology today. We're gonna talk about innovation and really how the World Wide Web has finally percolated itself all the way down into every aspect of what we do in this industry. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Of course. I appreciate you letting me come to Chicago, visit you, and talk just a little bit more about what it is you're passionate about. I know that LightAZ has grown over the last couple of years, but before we get into that and technology, tell everybody, who's Lars and how did you get your start in lighting? Well, I think like a lot of people in the industry, it's a coincidence that I ended up in lighting. It was not something that I was aiming for when I went to school, but got a job at Louis Paulson actually in Copenhagen in the past, you know, many years ago. And that got me into the lighting industry. And, and this is where I am. Louis Paulson uh, is quite a, a marquee manufacturer. They made some beautiful, beautiful products. You had that opportunity to work for a manufacturer. What made you leave that manufacturing business to think, hey, what else could I do? How, how could I spread my wings a little bit more in this industry? While I was working with Louis Paulson in, in Denmark, I got an opportunity to work in IT. So I took that job. And when I came back to Louis Paulson and came to the Chicago, a couple of years later, I was thinking about how can we make the process of specifying an easier thing? Because after 2005, I know we're going to come into this maybe later, a lot of things happened with the LED and it changed the landscape of not only the number of products, but also the way the product changed. Products weren't necessarily innovating at a rapid pace, right? That's correct. The lighting industry was full of a traditional few light sources, things that screwed into lamp bases and these long tubes called fluorescent technology. (laughs) And, And that's what everybody was kind of designing around LED definitely turned the whole industry upside down from an innovation perspective in terms of what could actually be created. But what was unique is around the same time, the world was given this thing called the internet. We had the World Wide Web. What was going on in the early 2000s and how did you see that? It was a change of processes in many times, right? You suddenly have access to data in a different way. You can work with data on different levels. It kind of structured a lot of things if you did it right. Like you said, when the LED came, it changed the sphere of the lighting from being an analog kind of driven industry to being a digital solution industry. And those things was available and doable because of the internet and how that propelled that whole industry that we are in now. When you think about the internet, it fundamentally changed the way we do everything, right? It gave us access to information. When you go outside of lighting and you just, you look at Lars's life, when the internet came around, what do you remember? What were those first experiences you had when the internet became a, a tool and a resource for you. Yeah, well, I was stunned of what I saw. And I also was challenged with what it was. Even though I was younger, this was brand new for us. And I think it had to be taken in steps uh, to understand what it was. 
and how you can utilize it. We all got through it. We all, we all got through it indeed. I know I was basically just a little kid when the internet came out, so I feel like I've pretty much grown up with it my entire life. I look at my little sisters who are almost a decade younger than me, one of them is at least, and she's grown up with the internet literally her entire life. It's interesting to look at the generational patterns of when the internet came into people's lives and how that changed everything. When you think about the design industry, when did the internet hit design and start to make an impact and a difference? Well, again, I think it comes back to the process of building new products. I think you suddenly had opportunity and software that could go in and help with the cat and all these things here that suddenly could make the process of building a new product or designing a new product a lot faster. And that gave you room to experiment with things that you didn't do before. The opportunity to experiment creates a unique circumstance. When you have a feedback loop that can, so to speak, happen faster because there's a quicker, more active line of communication, it changes everybody's mindset. But that's also something that we weren't necessarily always used to doing. This industry was built on paper and vellum. This industry was built on meetings around the table. This industry was built on the creative design process that took time. Yeah, and it also gave you the opportunity to work outside the house, right? You can suddenly have resources from all around the world that were helping you in real time, getting new ideas and building new products. That was a little bit more complicated in the past. So when you think about technology, it's kind of a blessing and a curse. How has technology been a blessing in a positive way for humans, for the design community, and really in business? Well, in life, I think technology has helped in many, many aspects. So you can talk about medical, but you can also, the information flow, the transparency that we are seeing as, as human beings are much more transparent, as I say, today than it was in the past. In lighting, you'll see the same thing. I mean, you can now compare things a lot easier than you could before because you have the data now to really go in and, and check things out that was really difficult in the past and, and time-consuming. Those things today are so rapidly changing the way you are picking products and building products. And I will say, you know, there's also negative things. You know, when you have kids today, they are definitely driven by TikTok and, and other mobile devices, uh, softwares that probably not has the best impact on them, but uh, it's hard to control. And that's why you have to be aware of those things. It's hard to control and you have to be aware of it. I think are two extremely valid points. The fact that it's hard to control because basically technology is everywhere. There's a shortage of chips around the world right now. Technology is going in too many places, yet we can't stop it because it solves problems for us, right? Machine learning, AI, these are words in our vocabulary that people throw out at a cocktail party that nobody even knew what they were 10 years ago. When you go back and you talk about our industry and the lighting industry innovating, technology has implemented itself in many different layers, in many different places, at many points in time. The first being manufacturing. The second being probably the design process. Look at the design tools. Look at CAD. Look at Revit. Look at the cloud, right? Everything's up in the cloud now. But there's some things that haven't necessarily innovated or adapted until later on. And I know that you guys are doing something with your business at LightIZ, which we can talk about a little bit more later. But at a high level, software is now solving problems 
since maybe first set of problems have been solved. Talk to me a little bit more about how you see that evolving just uh, in life in general. Technology, like you stated, it solves problems and it creates efficiency many times, right? If, if it's done right. So the world we live in is always trying to push productivity. And that's why some of these uh, software or technologies, uh, they're achieving that part for you. You want the same result or you want a better result, but you want to put less into it. And that's what a lot of these softwares do. They go in and take some of that dead time or that pain point that you have and eliminate that or at least streamline it. And I think that's that makes us more efficient. But again, you have to be aware of all these things also. Where is everything going? I think it's important to sometimes just relax and, and look at the sky. You have to know where things are going. Why do you need to know where things are going? I think it's important to have some kind of way to navigate through all these things. Yeah. And I think the moral uh, ethics part of this is that you as a human being kind of put yourself into different situations also with your kids. So to make sure you guide them through this jungle of new technology that can take over your life. But do we know where it's going? I don't, I'm not so sure. I would agree with you. We have no clue where it's going actually. There's unintended consequences. As my good friend Howard Branston says, have you considered the unintended consequences of the decisions you're about to make? something that stuck with me since I spoke to him a couple years ago and I think it's worth listening to. Howard's in his 80s. He's seen a lot in life, both personally and professionally, in lighting and hunting and and the things that he does. When we look at the unintended consequences that are showing up in the world today of tech, how do we as an industry be thoughtful of that as we move forward to try and push ourselves, but also make the right decision? There needs to be some minds that sit together sometimes and, and come up with ideas and maybe make some, some kind of rules or some kind of ways of conduct yourself through these things. Yeah because it, it does come, it, it's, it's a fast moving train and you need to stop up once in a while and, and see what the consequences are. That's important and I think, you know, the leaders in the industry need to pull in the right information and, and figure out what they want to do with this. I want to talk about that fast moving train. It is fast and it is coming super fast for our entire industry. How do we start to shift our mindset to know that this shift is coming, that things are going to start to change at a more rapid pace than they ever have. I think people see that today. I mean, anybody who's doing submittals or packages and lighting and stuff like that, they all know that they have to do it faster now than they did last year or last week. And how fast can you get the information? One thing I learned when I was in in Denmark uh, was that big doesn't always beat small but fast always speeds slow. And that always stuck to me. You need to be able to adjust and you need to be fast. Otherwise, it doesn't matter how big you are. And I think that's what we all are seeing now that people are engaging in these things here, that they need to be fast to adjust to the market changes. And if you're not, it doesn't matter who you are. The market's gonna come and take you away. The market is a very interesting concept as well. I want to get into that just a little bit more, but let's take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about the market, this industry, how it's big, how it's got a target on its back. And if we don't innovate it, somebody else will. Sound good? Sounds good. Hey, it's Sam. Real quick, The Light Prod is brought to you by LightEye, a hub for ideas, education, and a little bit of entertainment when it comes to architectural lighting. They bring you this podcast and short two-minute videos that are educational, entertaining, fun, and informative. Check them out at lytei.com. 
And welcome back. Over the break, Lars and I were chatting just a little bit more about how there's so much that goes on every single day. The one thing that nobody gets is more time. We get less time, we have more responsibility. So the opportunity for innovation is most of the time welcome. But before we dive completely off the cliff of innovation, Lars, talk to me just a little bit more about what it's like to have to innovate incrementally and bring people up to speed by bridging the gap. We didn't have FaceTime during the first iPhone launch, but 10 years later we do. How's that happening in the lighting industry? Timing is, is important in whatever you do in innovation. And I think the time after 2005, when LEDs start actually getting its birth in, in, in professional lighting, you saw a lot of manufacturers coming in from different industries to to jump into the lighting industry here. And a lot of them are not there anymore, but it gave another life to the industry. And the timing of getting them in there changed every manufacturer, not only them and the, the market itself, but it had to change also the existing manufacturers. And, and that was an interesting thing to see that they had to kind of step up their game, well, you will say in some way, but also just change their way of thinking of coming out with new products because they suddenly saw somebody come with technology uh, that they haven't seen before. But it has to happen in small steps. Nobody jumped into LED right away because uh, it was a new thing and, and, and nobody knew the consequences of the LEDs and how to manage obviously the heat and all that. But it was about taking one step at a time and, and, and looking at the process and slowly stepping into it. And eventually it became you know the, the standard of, uh, of lighting as it is today. And when you look at that, obviously there's a pretty big ramp up over the last 10 years. We went from not using this technology to LED is maybe not even in the vocabulary anymore because it's so assumed. That part of our industry has innovated. It's essential to acknowledge that. It's essential to embrace that. And I think everybody would agree that you're using LED technology in your designs and there's a lot of benefits to it. There's also some downfalls and we've struggled as an industry to figure that out. Talk to me a little bit about where our industry is at in terms of that next phase of innovation and trying to put our thumb on it and trying to figure out, well, manufacturing's done, design's innovating. How can we become more efficient with our time? What we do, we looked at the process of specifying, right? So you have, like you said, the manufacturers have done changes. What we're looking at when we started was the process of specifying a lighting product to having a lighting schedule done. How can we make that process easier and faster and more productive? So we started looking at, at different things. And, and the, one of the things that are important with the LEDs was that it changes all the time. When I was with the new Paulson, the artichoke didn't change for 50 years. It was the same bulb. It was the same uh, it fixture, was, right? It was the same freaking artichoke. It was the same thing. I mean, those different sizes and different finishes, but nothing actually changed. Now you cannot have a product that doesn't change the spec uh, in a month or two. They all trying to be more efficient and it just creates a lot of data, a lot of change that is impossible for the user to kind of follow. And when you think about change, you think about this industry, you think about, it's big. Yeah. Pe people don't know about the lighting industry, but it's here and there's a lot of money and there's a lot of cash that flows through it. There's a lot of business, there's a lot of opportunity, there's a lot of people who are employed. Private equity is in this industry big time right now. They are making money on our industry. And the way I look at it, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this, is as an industry, we kind of have two options. We can put one foot in front of the other and innovate it ourselves, or we can let people with a bunch of money show up, figure out how to make money however they want, and get out. What can we do 
to make sure that the former, the industry innovates itself and it doesn't get out of control. You're absolutely correct. There are players that are maybe not in the lighting sphere that has big saying now in the industry where it's going and how that is being done in distribution and, and, and other things. But again, I think it's up to the manufacturers and the users to come out and say their, what is their opinion to this? Where do they want this to go? I think it's uh, everybody has a responsibility to step up and, and come with their thoughts. I'm not sure that the industry is lucrative enough to being a private equity kind of industry in that sense, but they do have a foot in here. So uh, we want to make sure that uh, the lighting people still control where this is going, I think. I mean, when you look at the landscape of lighting, so much is coming into lighting. You look at the internet of things. Once a buzzword, now a real thing. Smart buildings are no longer a pipe dream, right? Two billion dollar stadiums are built and they are smart and they're intelligent. There's TVs on every wall. There's a Bluetooth beacon in your phone. We're figuring out how to take advantage of these things. I mean, the systems that plug into lighting or have the opportunity to plug into lighting have a dollar value that's 10 to 20 times more than lighting. So who's going to win the battle on the specification side is probably a whole other conversation. Do you specify for the technology in the lights or do you specify for the lights and you put the technology in it? There's a whole conversation around uh, design there. But when you look specifically at tech and in our industry, we have to say we know lighting makes an impact. We know that lighting is something unique. We know that good lighting changes everything and we know that bad lighting can pretty much destroy any environment. One prediction, one statement, one truth is time is finite. Nobody's getting any more of it. As the whole industry becomes more complex, we're undoubtedly going to have to look to the most archaic part of our entire industry. And unfortunately, that's the people in it, right? We as humans can only be so productive and we need tools to innovate and do things faster, better, and stronger. Talk to me a little bit more about how we as humans outside of manufacturing can look to implement things that are maybe in our everyday lives into our professional environments. Well, if you're talking about technology that surrounds us today, we as a, as a company with other companies are trying to pinpoint some of those pain points in the processes that everybody sees every day. How can we make them easier and how can we use technology to solve some of these tasks that people have without touching the integrity of the creativity in the process, right? For example, when you build a project, there's no reason for you to also have to manually put things into an Excel spreadsheet afterwards. That should be done automatically as soon as you pick the products. That could be things like collecting spec sheets after you're done with building a project. That should be done automatically. Click one thing, the, the system should pick all these things for you. Um, well, yeah, I mean, the world does that already, doesn't it? No, it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't in other industries, but it's, yeah. it's starting coming in now. It's, it's saving people time on pain points and on dead time. There is really no reason why technology shouldn't assist you in some of these tasks. I mean, it's already there. That will help with the productivity that we all are seeking right now. Technology is already there, to your point. Yes. There is so much tech that our industry, the lighting industry, we're not taking advantage of. Now, I know design is collaborative. I know that you know you can't replace the human mind in terms of creating unique situations, things like that. But there's so much in the process. You guys at LightAZ, you've been around for almost three years now. And you're doing something super innovative that I think people have thought about for 20 years, whether they knew it or not. Spec sheets are annoying. Spec sheets are out of date. 
Where do I get the latest spec sheet? How do I verify the spec sheet? I mean, when you think about the fact that a part number is the only thing that holds the integrity of an idea until somebody flips a light switch on, you'd think we'd pay more attention to it. Yet, it's almost an afterthought. Talk to me a little bit about what you guys are doing at LightAZ, how you're innovating and, and what's going on there. To go back, the process we looked at was from the start to the end, right? So one thing was we have an inspirational section where people can find things, but then you also have the search itself. And the search itself is set up with a logic built in, which means that when you find a product and you have different kinds of parameters, then it will exclude things that, you know, is not available for you, obviously. When we came to that conclusion after you find a product, what do you do with it? Well, you actually want to have the SKU number. You want to build the product. So we built in a SKU configurator for all the products, again with logic built in, so it only shows you the available attributes or parameters. After that, you can save it into a project, you can share it, you can send it to the rep. And when you save it into a project, one of the latest things that we came up with was the SKU tracer, which means that you build a project, two weeks later you go back to it, it actually tells you if any of the products that you picked has been discontinued, of any of the specs that you picked, any of the parameters would say, have changed and what have changed. That's an afterthought that nobody really thought about how important that is because you want to be as accurate as you, as you can so you don't do the rework. When you talk about SKUs and you talk about options, I think about design as a process. I think about design as writing an intent, as putting something in the space and then there's parameters. How much does it cost? How can I mount it? Where can I mount it? How much light does it have to deliver? You guys have created a search engine that's unique to checking boxes for those specific things. Yeah, we pretty much has any parameters you can imagine, you can search by. Any lighting parameter you can imagine, you can search by. It's a search engine built in, I think, it speaks for itself at this point that it's working. How many SKUs do you guys have loaded into your we program We have about right 150 now? to 200 million now. Excuse me, did you say 200 million? Yes, it's you, huge. I need a reference. What's 200 million look like? How, how tall would 200 million $1 bills? Like we're sitting in Chicago, we're looking at the Sears Tower, not really. It's what's it called, the Willis Tower? It's, it's cloudy, we can't see it right now. But like, I feel like that would be more than 200 million. Oh my gosh, that's, sorry, geeking out over here. That's a lot of SKUs and Correct me if I'm wrong. You just go to the internet, you start checking boxes, and you arrive at a solution from 200 million options. Yeah, and I think the uh, the future specifier wants to have the opportunity for a different experience that mimic what they do today. A lot of their world has been a digital world, like you said earlier in the interview, and they're used to search. They're used to finding things themselves, and they're used to, to have speed. They want to be able to get those things really fast, and it's going to be on the mobile phone or it's going to be somewhere else. So the key is for them to have everything with them and being able to change or edit things and find things, no matter where they are. You're obviously helping the specifier community out, but you're connecting them with their friends, the manufacturers. Yeah, and the agent. I mean, it's built so we don't go around the agent. We're sending people to the agents where they need pricing, delivery time, IS files, whatever they, they need. They have a button that just goes straight to the agencies if, if that's what they need. So there's a platform that you've built, and it takes all the information from manufacturers, it aggregates it so that a designer can quickly find what they need. And then you build a project and connect it directly with an agent. This is all done through one website, through one login. There's no question about how this information is transmitted. It's all secure. It's all encrypted. Lars, I know you're from Denmark and I know that privacy laws are 
real over in Europe when it comes to data. Yeah. You guys are doing your best to keep all of that data under wraps as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We, we just actually moved to AWS, the cloud service, and that they have tons of, of security and encryptions. I think what you're doing is super innovative. It's important because it solves one of the biggest problems we have in the industry, the lack of time with an increasing demand. Lighting inevitably is going to be something that is more complex. Lighting is something that is going to have to continue to innovate. We as an industry need digital tools to help us save time. As you look to the future, do you have any bold predictions? Do you have anything you'd like to see? Or is there any feedback that you guys are looking for at LightAZ that people could help you out with? Well, there are things coming. I cannot disclose all of it now, but we do see, like you said, the complexity in the lighting. It's not only the lighting, but it's also around how is things built. Uh, stuff like that the people would like to know how does it impact the earth we're on so we, we're seeing different things that people would like to search by and i'm sure there's going to be more things this train doesn't stop we have to keep on innovating and and that's what we do every day the train doesn't stop it keeps on going lars Thanks so much for this conversation today. It's been great to chat with you. If anybody wants to get in touch with you, they have questions or they just want to continue the conversation about what we talked today, what's the best way to reach out to you? They can email us on contact.lightaz at lightaz.com and we will get back to them as soon as we can. We'd love to hear back from the users. LightAZ, that's lighting from A to Z all in one place. Lars Christensen, ladies and gentlemen. Lars, thanks so much. Enjoy Chicago. Congrats on getting thanks. your second vaccine. <laughs> thank you. Stay safe, stay healthy, and you we'll as talk well. to you soon. You as well. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. See you soon, Lars. Yep. Hey, it's Sam. Real quick, if you enjoyed this podcast, do me a favor. Go back to the app that you're listening to this on. Click that follow button, click that like button, click that subscribe button. That's the best way to never miss another episode of The Light Pod, where we talk all things lighting with innovators, entrepreneurs, CEOs, designers, and honestly, anyone that wants to share their story about light. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.